Welcome to this week's podcast. My guest on Facing the Canon is my dear friend, Mike Pilavachi, a Greek tonic. Mike Pilavachi, welcome to Facing the Canon. It's great to be with you, John. Oh, Mike, we've known each other. I was trying to remember, but I think it's about 35 years. Yep. We've, yep. we've been good friends. When I was a young youth worker at St Andrew's Chorley Wood, you used to come and do our house parties for our youth group, and they were very memorable. And it was the oh. beginning of, of what of what we, we were both doing. Well, you've been at it for a bit while longer yeah, than yeah, me. Yeah. No, and oh, are we, Killy and I remember those weekends. But you, um, growing up, did you have any faith? No, no, I was an atheist because my parents were Greek Orthodox atheists. And uh, I remember... Yeah. So your parents, Greek Orthodox in terms of culture, yeah. culturally, but had no f belief in God at no, all? No, they were very... Because they saw what they saw as the corruption of the church in Cyprus, which yes. is where our ancestors come from. And so they were anti-church, anti-religion. They were science is the future. They escaped from all that superstition coming to England as they saw it. And when I was 14, I wrote an essay in my English class and the title was Why I Am Not a Christian. And it's God's sense of humour. Just over a year later, I became a Christian. And how? What, what were the things that led up to it? How did you have this epiphany? Well, I think looking back, the reason I wrote the essay was because I was searching. And uh, I started looking at all sorts of things, new age stuff. Um, I kept going to the library because I, I wasn't happy with my life. And I was just trying to find something. And then there were these two guys in, at school, in my class at school. They were normal. They were fun. They weren't weird. But they were kind. And they cottoned on that I was searching for something. And when the, the cross was explained to me, I personally never needed much convincing that I was a sinner. But when I heard the good news that he loved me, and that he paid for my sin, and he made the way back. I understood it completely. And I remember it was the 15th of January. I went up to Barn Hill, which was a, a, um, a, a hill near, near where I lived in, in Harrow, Wembley. And I went with a little booklet called Becoming a Christian by John Stott. Yes, I and know And I'd it. read it before. Yeah. And I'd read Journey into Life by Norman Warren. And then there was a little prayer at the end, and I prepared. I knew what I was doing. I went there, I knelt on the wet grass, and I said the prayer at the bottom of the booklet. And I got up, and I didn't feel any different, but I knew that from when I knelt down to when I got up, my life had completely yes. changed. Yeah. And that, that was it, really. Yeah. How did your family react to you calling yourself a Christian? Not great, really. I think that's the description. Not great. They were very upset. And um, they, they were... Our heritage, there's lots of good things about our there heritage. Are. There are also one or two not quite such good things. Absolutely. And um, they, they, they banned me from going to church. They yeah. banned me from going to any Christian meeting. And at first... I used to pretend that I was going to the pub yes. and I was going to parties. 
And of course, they were thrilled because um, they'd been worried because I never went out before that. And my dad used to say to me, my son, you're drinking, you're, you're going out with girls, you're having sex. That's my son. And it was like, so different to most parents. And, and I didn't know what to do. So I let him believe that. And then one day, the leaders of my home group, um, a couple called Mark and Pat Thomas, they sat me down and they said, Mike, do you think it's dishonoring to Jesus to be lying to your parents about coming here? And I said, I don't know, but I can't live without this. I can't survive if I can't come here. And they said, well, we want to suggest, let's pray about it, that you tell your parents and you trust Jesus. And I was like, I know what's going to happen, but we prayed about it. And of course, I didn't have a choice. So I went home and I remember when I told them, that I had be, that I was going to Christian meetings. I remember my mum was upstairs and my dad was downstairs and I was on the stairs in between. And um, I was so upset because they were furious. My mum was crying and my dad was shouting. I didn't know what else, to, I didn't know what to do. So I started speaking in tongues <laughs> out loud. Yes. I mean, out loud. And it was just the most stupid thing to do. But they both stopped and they looked at me and they said to each other, he's gone mad. Yeah. He has gone crazy. And then I ran out of the house and I was trembling and I went to this couple and I said, I've left home. And they sat me down, they prayed with me and they sent me back. And the thing was, my dad was so upset with me that he did not speak to me for, I think it was over a month. He yeah. wouldn't speak to me. And because he wouldn't speak to me, he was too proud to tell me, where are you going? Yes. So I got up, I, I put my coat on, and I left to go to the meeting, and they didn't tell me not to. Yeah, so you never lied. So I never lied. They knew where I was going, and they didn't tell me no. And then by the time they were okay with me, but the, the sadness is they never... Um, they never came to terms with it. No. And I mean, I remember I sat with my dad when he was dying of heart failure yes. in the hospital. And I said to him when he was, and I don't know, you know, I said, Dad, you, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. And, yeah. and after he died, I, I imagined that he did. But I think that might have been wishful thinking. He said no all his life. And then with my mum, she accepted it, but she didn't agree with it. Yeah. And, and the sadness is I prayed for them. Um, I tried to witness to them, but it never, they, no. there was a pride. Yeah, but it's and, always hard with family, isn't yeah. it? To communicate our faith. And, and I think it is the hardest with your own parents. Yeah, it was agony. Yeah. And she died three years ago. Yes. And there's no evidence that she gave her life. So they're the things that are sad. But um, where I never got, my parents' approval for anything I did. Yeah. You know, they thought I was wasting my life. And I wanted, you want your parents' approval. Yes. In the end, I realised I had my father in heaven's approval. Absolutely. And he loved me and he was for me. And he was proud of, not my achievements, because it wasn't achievements, but of me because I'm his son. Yeah. And, you know, as he said of Jesus, this is my son whom I love. Absolutely. With him I'm well pleased. I'm in Christ. 
And so that which is true of Jesus is true of yeah. me. One of my favorite quotes, Mike, is um, Saint Isaac of Syria, which I know you're very familiar with. Oh, and, old yeah, Isaac, yes. Saint Isaac. And he said, I would rather be judged by God than my own mother, because God will be more generous. Isn't that wonderful? So I think That's always wonderful. with parents and always with friends that we don't know, I think, well, at least we know that God's never going to make a mistake. But anyway, That's you brilliant. moved on. You ended up, we'll, we'll kind of accelerate the story, but you ended up becoming the youth leader at St. Andrew's Chorley Wood. Okay, from having trained as an accountant. How did you end up at St. Andrew's? I heard that there was this church in a village at the end of the Metropolitan Line where they prayed for you, prayed for people, and things happened. And I was so desperate. I remember one Sunday afternoon, it was spontaneous. I thought, I don't care, I'm going to go. And I got on the train. I got off at Chorleywood Station. I thought, oh, my word, this is a village. And I asked people, do you know where St. Andrew's Chorleywood is? And these two guys, they said, yes, we're going there, follow us. I went there for the first time. I sat two pews from the back. It was still fairly traditional in yes. some ways. They had a choir that was robed and everything. But I knew I'd come home. It was like waves of love came over me. And I just knew this is, this is my home. And I started going there. And for some reason, I never understood the vicar and his wife, David and Mary Pitches, they, they took me in. They loved me. They cared for me. I was in their house all the time. Mary and another lady, Prue Bedwell, who yes. has since become great friends, they, they prayed with me every other Friday for over three years for some of the things, the wounds in my sure. heart. And I found healing. And then one day, David um, asked me to see, to see him. And he said, I want you to consider giving up your job and becoming the youth worker at the church. And it's all I'd ever wanted to oh, do. Yes. And I said yes. And then I started as the, the youth worker. And the truth is, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> no. no idea. Learning on the job. Oh, boy. And I made so many mistakes. And in the end, I remember I made so many mistakes that I said to the, the youth group, I said, I want to tell you a secret. I don't know what I'm doing. No. And they looked at each other and they said, we know. Yes. And I said, look, can we pretend, can we do it together? And we'll pretend I'm doing it to you. Would you help me? And, and that, I, I stumbled on yep. um, raising up others by accident. Oh. And it was because I didn't know. And like you said, one of the youth group was Matt Redman. Matt Redman. He was 13 um, when I took over the youth group. Martin Lazell yes, was 12, and he's been associate vicar at Holy Trinity yes. Brompton the last few years. I'm now actually, um, uh, his son, Jack, who's yes. my godson, is now one of my interns Amazing. This, this year. And there were others, a guy called Craig Borlase, who's yes. written so many books and edited Christian That's magazines, right. and yes. a whole bunch of others, guys and girls. And what it was, was, was I didn't know what to do. So it was like... I love, Do it with me. I love your honesty, Mike. I mean, you're always, you're a, you make yourself very vulnerable, which actually is very endearing. Now, all those years were very full, very fruitful. And then through that, Soul Survivor was birthed 
I mean, when you look back now, you know, you started with your youth group and then you ended up having some, what, three weeks in the summer with thousands. Could you believe what God was doing during those decades? No, I, I, I mean, none of it was, well, you know what it's like. None of it was planned. Yeah. It was, you know, there, there was my youth group and then Matt learnt guitar <laughs> and started leading worship and then um, I started getting invited to speak at other youth groups and I took him with me and something started to happen and then you came a few years yes. to our to our um, house party our, our youth group house party and God was doing things there and then new wine started from our church yes and I led the youth at new wine and then I just had this dream uh, of doing something that was a bit like new wine, a little bit like green belt, a bit like spring harvest, but just for young people where, where we would take Jesus seriously, but not take ourselves seriously, where non-Christians could come and feel at home, but where we would proclaim the gospel and we would train young people to move in the gifts and the power of the spirit. And I went to David and I thought, I'm sharing with him the vision. He will say no. And then at least I've done it. I told him my dream. He listened. And I remember he said, it sounds ridiculous to me. And then he paused and he said, but it sounds like it might be God. Yes. Let's have a go. Yeah. And in 1993, we had our first soul survivor camp, 1,896 arrived. I counted them myself. And again, honestly, John, we didn't know what we were doing, but God was there you were it was amazing with you you did the bible readings oh, for those first years i loved it and do you remember you did the bible readings kevin prosh made yes. worship crazy worship leader with an anointing from heaven yeah but you led and, the ministry you yeah. taught in the evenings it, we, yeah i mean they and, were very inspiring times weren't they and the presence of god was tangible yeah it was and the second year to our amazement, 4,000 came yeah. and then 6,000. And, and, but in those early years, we had a number become Christians, but it wasn't huge numbers because there weren't huge numbers of non-Christians there. Yes. And then what changed it yeah. is um, we did two missions um, in 2000 yeah. um, uh, in Manchester. We called it The Message and we took three and a half thousand yeah young people to Manchester instead of the festival. And then in 2004, yes. Soul in the City, London, and 11,500 Christian young people paid to do mission yeah. in London. And do you know what was amazing was after that, they started bringing their non-Christian friends to the festival. And before that, a third of our seminars were on evangelism yes. and mission. Yes. And we had you oh. um, doing all that. Doing we that. loved it. You know? Mike, Mike, do you know? Afterwards, but the thing was, after that, even though we had a third of the seminars on evangelism and mission, all they ever wanted to do was be worship leaders. Yes. And the reason for that was because what they saw was worship leaders. Absolutely. When they did mission, when they did evangelism, they caught it and then they became evangelists. Yeah. And then they started bringing the kids. And I remember there was one evening you you spoke and you invited folk to come forward. Yes. To, and that, that evening was the most we've ever had. Um, and I think it was about 3,000 young people 
came forward to give their lives to yes. Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, it was soon after Soul in the City yeah. in 2004. I really and know. I remember thinking, but there can't be 3,000 yeah. here non-Christians. Yes. And then we started asking. Yes. And they'd all brought their friends. It was amazing. And it was no. a, a reaping. I remember that because Bishop Graham Cray was overseeing the, like, the response and the follow-up. And I, I can still remember his face of like, oh my word. <laughs> This is incredible. But what is so admirable is you you led Soul Survivor Festivals for how many years? 27. And then the Lord said to you, it's done. Mm. Lay it down. And, and often in ministry, we tend to feel that we've got to perpetuate something that God inspired us to start. Whereas you felt, no, it's done. I need to lay it down. Was that difficult? You know, honestly, it wasn't. Um, and it wasn't because God made it really, really clear. And we always said, we said at the beginning, you know, God, I always used to say, God never said, I'll build my soul survivor any more than he said, I'll build my YWAM, my Youth for Christ, my new wine, my focus, my whatever. He only said, I'll build my church. And what we said was, we exist for a season. And when that season's over, you know, he's building his church. We're Absolutely. there to serve the church for a season. So when he said, he made it so, so clear. And lots of people didn't understand. And, you know, folk were like, why? why? And, and the answer was, because God said, we don't completely understand it. Yeah. But he has said, and now, looking back, that last year, last summer, 2019, we had one of the two, it was the joint most we've ever had because all the groups that came every other year, they all came for that. So we had 32 and a half thousand Amazing. came to our last event. We finished with a surplus that we could give away to other youth organizations. Great. And it finished perfectly. If we had gone one more year, yes. we would have gone bankrupt yes. because of COVID. We wouldn't have been able to do it. We wouldn't have been able to finish. No. And now I look back and I'm thinking, Lord. The Lord and, knew. and do you know what's funny? I get people all the time saying, you must be so prophetic. You knew what was coming. Yeah. And it's like, you have no idea. We had no idea. No. It's looking back and you think, oh, wow, Lord, yeah. you knew. And the only thing that makes it harder is yeah. all the other things that were starting up couldn't. Yeah, absolutely. And we're praying that this coming summer they can, yes. although it, in a at different the moment, way. In a different way, yeah. in a different way. But I think the lesson there, Mike, is that God guides our steps, yeah. but he also guides our stops. Yes, brilliant. And we don't often d discern that, that maybe, yes, he's guiding the steps, but maybe he's guiding our stops mm. and we shouldn't be disappointed. Now, you of course, are still ministering. You're pastoring a church in Watford called Soul Survivor. How is that going? Well, I've loved the journey. The, the biggest privilege of my life is being involved in pastoring a church that I love. And we started it the same year as the festivals. Yes. So that's been going now 28 years. And I'm actually, I'm actually really encouraged by where we are. Yes. But what we're, what we're praying about, and we've just had some major discussions, is, Lord, what, what, what kind of church do you want us to be yeah. coming out of lockdown? Yeah. 
And what do you want us to do now to prepare? Yes. To prepare for life after COVID. And, and I have some regrets. Um, if I'm honest, if I'd known COVID was coming, I would have, we would have been much more intentional about discipleship. Yes. And, and especially with the 20s and early 30s, we could have done a better job, John. Yeah, and yeah sure. To have, you know, to have explained the heart of the gospel more clearly, to have done better by, to get people into the scripture, into prayer more. We, not we didn't do it, but we weren't intentional. Yeah. And it's the, all of that has become exposed. But I suppose um, in hindsight, though, it's with everything, isn't it, Mike? You you do look back and you you learn things. Yeah. But now you've got to look forwards, isn't it? Yeah. And so one of the things we want to do is is that. So yeah. we're about to start a series with the whole church online on John's Gospel. We're Excellent. all going to read John's Gospel. Great. And we're going to have a whole variety of teachings on it. We also want to really, really learn again how to pray corporately yes. in a way that isn't token. Yeah. Um, also, um, our evangelism and mission. Yeah. You know, we've loved being able to invite folk into the family, but it's, you know, it's outreach, not just in-grab. Of course. And, and, and also, we, we really believe that the Lord's speaking to us about being more intentional about church planting. Yeah. And not to create yet another empire or network. That's the last thing that the church needs. We've got enough of those. But friendship-based. Yes. You know, so that as long as you want to be friends, we want to serve you. Absolutely. When you, when you feel like it's not, that's fine. We release you. We want, we want to be generous-hearted because Jesus... The Father, the gospel is about God so loved the world that he gave. Yeah. And we got to love his world that we give all that he gives us. The one of the things I've always um, loved about you, Mike, is that you've always been a person of the word and of the spirit. You're a word and spirit person. And um, what do you sense the Holy Spirit is saying now? To the church? Well, uh, I mean, this is from my limited, you know, this is just very, very personal uh, for us. And I, I've been talking to a lot of leaders the last few weeks and months and to a lot of leaders about leaders. And the honest truth is many churches are struggling. Yes. Many leaders are struggling. And that's the honest truth. And we need, I think it's, the gospel is powerful. The gospel does not change. We mustn't lose confidence in the good news of Jesus. And possibly what we've done in many of our churches is in order, and I, I believe in being culturally relevant, but sometimes in order to be culturally relevant, we've forgotten that we are also meant to be culturally prophetic yes. and distinctive. And, and actually, the gospel goes against, you know, the gospel is not about right-wing politics. Yeah. The gospel is not 
about left-wing politics. The gospel is not about middle-of-the-road politics. The gospel is about another flipping kingdom altogether. And it's about the kingdom of God. And we've got to rise up. There's got to be a, a renewed move of the spirit, which is about radical Christianity. And we need a generation to rise up who are radically committed to the scriptures and to all the scriptures. And you know what? We don't, we don't come to judge the Bible. Yeah. Do I like that, don't I? We come to the Bible to let the Bible judge us. Yes. And when we became Christians, I don't know about, I know it was the same for you. Yeah. We, talked about, we, we would look at the Bible and it's like, oh, I can't do that. Okay, yeah, I've got to change. Fine. Oh, I'm meant to do that. I need to change. Yeah. And we've got to get back to we a do. radical yeah. commitment to Jesus. And your little series yeah. on some of the, the saints, of the, of the, the faith. heroes of the I faith know. and the revivals of the oh. past. And, and, you know, revival isn't a spray that God's going to spray in the atmosphere. Revival comes as we yeah. go. Yeah. And, and actually, God is faithful. He is so faithful and we've got to trust in his faithfulness. And we need to be an alternative community. Yeah. But, and it's not complicated. It's the great commandment, we love him with all that we have and all that we are. The new commandment, that we love one another as he loves us, so family, and the great commission to go into every ethnicity, every yes. people group, and make disciples of everyone. And the message hasn't changed. We just complicated it. And we so wanted to be popular. And it's funny, in the Acts of the Apostles, you know, there was such power. And what they preached was so contrary to the Roman Empire and even the Jewish leaders that they were hated. But there was an awe. Yeah. And a purity, and, and a wasn't purity. Oh. And people came in droves to Christ. And I think the Lord is out of this. And I want to give my remaining years to helping to raise up a generation who are radically committed to Christ, his church and his cause. Amen. Amen and amen. Mike. Always a joy seeing you, being with you, and thank you so much for being on Facing the Canon. And I just want to say thank you so much, my friend, for all that you have served over years faithfully. You've been an inspiration to me, uh, not just with us, but all over the world. And the fruit you won't even know till you get to heaven. Thank you, my friend. The gospel has not changed. Indeed, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Let's rediscover uh, those basics and be passionate to know Christ and to make him known. Thank you to my friend and my guest, Mike Pavlacci, today. I hope you're inspired. I'm inspired. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. 
To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. Heroes of the Faith is a new podcast by J. John and his wife, Killy. Sign up today to hear the incredible stories of some of J. John's heroes of the Christian faith and the lessons we can learn from their lives. Hear about Harriet Tubman, who after escaping from a life of slavery in the USA, went on to rescue over 300 other slaves. John Bunyan, whose book, The Pilgrim's Progress, has sold more copies than any other book other than the Bible and inspired millions of people around the world. George Muller, who helped tens of thousands of children whilst leaving a lasting legacy of trust in God's provision. Ever wondered who saved more lives than anyone else on earth? Listen to the story of Edward Jenner, the Christian doctor who discovered vaccination. With a new story to be told each week, sign up now to hear J. John's Heroes of the Faith.